Holy good God, Pat, there was a lot of sport this weekend. There was a lot of sport. A lot of sport that ended up being underwhelming. I think we're not going to get all of it, so we may as well get the uh, the maddest bit of it out of the way first. Mm. We'll, in fact, we'll introduce Gavin Comiskey, who's going to be here to talk about the rugby. We, we obviously wanted uh, at the last minute to bring Jerry Thorny in, but Gavin refused yeah. to get off the podcast in tribute to... Uh, to the Chelsea goalkeeper last yesterday. You're um, deliberately not saying his name, aren't you? Come on, say the man's name. Kepa Ariba Balaga. See, look at you. Why? Why would I do, rob you of your moment? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, if if anybody didn't see it, in the last minute of extra time in the Carabao Cup final yesterday against Manchester City, refused to be substituted yeah. when Maurizio Sarri was going to bring on Caballero, who is not only kind of a penalty saving expert but also used to play with Man City and would presumably know their their penalty preferences. And also wasn't suffering from cramp at the time. And wasn't suffering from cramp. Um, it was kind of mad um, but mostly because of, I had somebody text me last night going, I don't, who's not really into football, but was going I don't really understand why why has Sari just said it's all a misunderstanding? Why is everybody just saying it's a misunderstanding? Sari was clearly Outraged. Mm. Uh, he went to leave the stadium, sure. <laughs> and he turned, he doubled back. He did, yeah. Which it gets to the heart of what the story is. The story isn't even really Kepa not coming off. The story is the, just the the absolute torpedoing of Sarri's power at the club. Mm. Isn't that, that's the context for everything. It's that he can't even make a bloody substitution at this stage. Wasn't that Gianfranco Franco Zola beside him? Yeah. Shouldn't he, as the number two, just gone on and grabbed your man by the ear and dragged him off? That was the one thing I, I, I couldn't get over, the, the fact that Sarri was, was fulminating, going absolutely batshit, and everybody around him seemed kind of, mm. eh, yeah. <laughs> Dead man like, walking. Zola was kind of just, Zola was sitting on the bench. There was other backroom staff who were all kind of sitting there kind of, not even kind of paralysed by the shock of it all, but just kind of going, yeah, this is not my gig, I don't, that's nothing to do with me really. It is, like you said, his power is completely torpedoed. Mm. But I'm with you, Gavin. I think he just should have just stood there with the number in the air until your man came off the pitch because he couldn't back down from that. Uh, and he did. And now they're completely capitulating on it and they're kind of rewriting the history of it going, oh, it was a misunderstanding and all that. Yeah, and I was wondering about that. To what end? What end? What's the point of Sarri kind of playing it all down? OK, take the drama out of it. He still has to work with these guys and presumably wants to keep working with them. Um, Presumably he wants to get fired so he gets his rest of his contract paid off as opposed to walk because if he admitted that yes my player refused to be substituted you'd pretty much have to quit Well someone in authority if they, they blink so maybe he's blank, he's done that before a training so when they blink you just know <laughs> so he go, or he's starting a trend now where players are so powerful that they just don't need to come off the pitch it's, I think it's shocking It's shocking yeah even you, I saw David Louise interviewed afterwards and really kind of going yeah, I didn't really know what was going on. Meanwhile, he was literally talking to, to Keppel with his hand over his mouth for... Saying, stay on, stay for, on. For, Well, for however long, like for, you know, 30 seconds or so. And then, you know, ball face afterwards goes, yeah, I don't really know what was happening there. As did the captain, as, yeah. as Palaqueta was asked about it, and he also said, oh, I didn't really see it. Yeah. Like, well, so what exactly were you doing while this, <laughs> while this drama was being played out in front of the rest of the world? Just ridiculous. I, uh, the best line I saw last night uh, on Twitter was somebody saying, uh, "Can't ever see that happening with Brian Cody." No, 
That would be highly entertaining to see somebody there's try no, it. There's nothing more boring than saying, comparing the GA lads to the soccer lads and all that sort of stuff. That's not what I'm doing, but like, Cody wouldn't stand for that. No. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause, <laughs> It'd be a short conversation. It would. Cody would go on to the pitch to drag him off and the referee would be like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, getting, I'm not even getting, I'm not getting involved, involved in that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was, that's what we will gloss over as our contribution to the soccer weekend. Gavin is here going to talk about the rugby which also happened. Um, we will have Keith Duggan later on to talk uh, about uh, Kerry and Galway and we're going to have Philip Reid on talk about uh, the life sometimes of Rory McIlroy uh, over the weekend. Uh, but Gavin is here. Gavin, well, what is happening? We're, we're no good at rugby anymore. No, it's over. Yeah. It's over. Um, it's amazing what happens when you're... Don't you're tell com- the Irish Times that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing what happens when you're conf- when confidence, collective confidence and have seen your players plummets, you know. It's, it really does, mm-hmm. does seem like a lifetime ago, uh, November. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite simply, they have not... Im- they've gone and gotten worse from game to game, from getting beaten up by England. And we've, Wales proved that... Wales actually, Warren Gatlin was so happy that happened because he went and watched that and that gave him a blueprint to figure out England. Liam Williams helps. But um, the Edinburgh performance was very, very poor. You know, like it, if you if you go back and watch it, they were not good in contact. And then today, and then on Sunday, Italy, Italy kind of copped on about 15 minutes into the game, 20 minutes into the game, when it looked like it was going to be a 50, 60 pointer at one stage. Then Italy hang, hung on in there and they realised Ireland are way off the ball. And they suddenly started, they're, they're big, they're strong, and they suddenly started playing with this real kind of, this huge levels of confidence. But like Tabaldi ripping the ball off Conor Murray the way he did and Conor Murray looking to the ref and Sexton still moaning to the ref about getting hit late. Yeah. Mm. Um, like he got a penalty for it at one stage and he nearly, he nearly got the penalty reversed right. because he wanted a yellow card. There's nothing worse than being the team that the underdog realises isn't up to much. Yeah. And because you, you can see them grow. Yeah, well, when you're when you're two the, the two best halfbacks in the world playing for the fiftieth time together, are looking to the refs for help. As Tibaldi, after ripping the ball off Conor Murray, and it was fair enough as if you look at the replay, Scarper's 40, 60 meters downfield, and Italy score a try from it. Um, and then you can't be moaning about uh, Keith Earls getting pushed off the ball either. Like <laughs> these things happen, you know what I mean? Now the TV guy in Italy made sure that the replay didn't get didn't come across the refs <laughs> the refs eyes. But but so be it. This was. Um, on on several levels, this is a really bad performance. Sean Cronin was coming for a lot of grief because that was his first time starting for Ireland in the Six Nations, and last five lineouts. This he's, he'd d- have, he's not getting another go. I'm sorry. He'd have liked uh, his first start to be in a team that Dev Toner was playing in. Yeah, he was. And look, yeah, they're down to Quinru and Alton Delan in the second row. But you had your chance and it's gone now and I don't think he's going to get another one. He'll be bench because he's such a good impact player. Is the problem, the the heart of the issue at the moment, the fact that our halfbacks like Sexton and Murray just don't have the form that they had a few months ago? Yeah, yeah. When we break it all down, that's it. Do you know, like, I, I Schmidt... Uh, was it was put to him afterwards by Sinead Kassan, who's, who's pretty good when it comes to... Like, that's the moment to catch these guys, the coach, straight after the game. And on Virgin Media, Sinead was pretty good after the England game. She pressed him quite cleverly. But um, he turned around and he gave it the old, every game has an independent lifespan, when he was asked what went wrong. 
Like that does not wash. Mm. And then he at the, then he goes, look, I can't really put my finger on it at the moment. That's him giving the finger to everybody, going, I'm not telling you, because he knows precisely what the problem is. And on and he forensically already could could have gone through it and kind of could have given the public and the media could have given just even a three or four key points, and he refused to do it. So he he sat. In his you can't really there. expect him to just uh, kind of dump it all on the two lads. No, 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 but. If you're gone from the All Black performance to what happened against those these last three performances, you got to front up, you know. Like Peter Mahoney is the captain and he's on the pitch and he had a great, really good game, man of the match afterwards. And he's doing. He gave the I'm going to pay dues to the Italians, but him describing Italy as a super team and saying that Conor O'Shea is doing an incredible job went back to studio and Shane Horgan and Shane Jennings rightly put him on his ass with that because that's just that just does not wash saying that. Mm-hmm. They're not a super team. And Conor O'Shea is not doing an incredible job. Root and Branch, yeah, it's fine. Treviso, we're seeing evidence of it. And Italy played very well, but they have not won a Six Nations game on Conor O'Shea's watch. The only high watermark was beating an atrocious South African team three years ago. Um, they are showing signs of improvement, but this is not an incredible job by the Italians. This is a very beatable Italian team. And, and which, for all intents and purposes, for 10, 15 minutes, it looked like Ireland are going to tear yeah, them open. And, and Ireland have been beating them. Yeah. Hockey in them. Yeah, sure. Well, let's the go last, back to November three, again. Years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, putting 50, 60 points on them in each game. Yeah, when uh, Jordan Larmer was on the pitch, yeah, and uh, he was injured. And look, maybe there's a lot of injuries building up. Like, the word has it that last Wednesday in Carton House, all hell broke loose in the training pitch and they really went at it, you know. And a few guys, Jack Cohn didn't make it, Larmer didn't make it, Carberry didn't make the squads as a result of whatever the damage of training. But now they must, they'd have good reason for that because they felt they were going to go to Italy and get a bonus point and win and so we can do the whole uh, job done and you know let's cheerlead and like you know it's okay and in Joe Schmidt we trust and Sexton and Murray will find their form and all that but <laughs> no evidence of that at the moment the interesting we thing can't, we can't mm-hmm. keep saying that we have to realise that there's a serious problem here and it's developing and I wouldn't have said it and I wouldn't have wrote it but Shane Horgan <laughs> brought us all the way back to 2007 on mm. TV yesterday and he said I'm concerned because once it once it gets away from you you don't get it back. Exactly and and I thought that was really interesting that he brought that up like it wasn't as if Joe Malloy said to him does this remind you of 2007 Shane Horgan just brought it up off the top of his head and obviously he was involved so um, you got to listen to him. Shame is um, the guy who came out before that World Cup and said, we can win this tournament. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. He was involved. Yeah. He remembers. <laughs> what was interesting, I found, in parts of the game yesterday was, like, there was almost a kind of a, a joylessness about it. Like, when they got the bonus point try, you know, you would you would think if you were, if you were, if there was no scoreboard up the top of the screen and you saw Conor Murray walking back after the bonus point try, you'd be kind of going... God, this team is getting hockeyed here and this is a consolation try that he's after getting. Like, they're just... Body language. Are we talking yeah. about body language? If yeah. you dig into Liam Tolan's column, he gets the body language as well and the, the lads on TV were saying it as well. The body language is pretty bad. And uh, it's pretty bad because they all know they're playing like crap. Yeah. I'd say that's probably why the body language is bad and morale is low. That's yeah. pr- probably it. But Because it's all evident there, you know. Um, how, how do you fix that? You fix that with your leaders. Like, and interestingly, maybe the leaders are going to be James Ryan and Jacob Stockdale from now on. Like Stockdale had a fine game, and every time he gets on the ball, he's electric. And uh, he, like, he more increasingly just reminds you of Joe Rococo, because he can just do stuff in a game. Um, so maybe the younger lads who are going to take over, literally, uh, literally next year, when Joe Schmidt's gone and Andy Farrell's coach, the, the next leaders in the team will be these 22, 23-year-olds, mm-hmm. because um, they'll put real pressure in a year's time on the Sexons of this world's 
positions, you know, for example, Carberry. So maybe it's time for them in the next two weeks to take control of this team because it's their team now as well, you know. But there's there's two problems. There is the senior players are not playing. Any, well, Conor Murray's still, this whole playing himself into form thing is well and good and it's definitely worth doing. But there's that and there's a rising injury toll. Um, one really good thing from the weekend was Ty Byrne was supposed to have a weekend off, not going to Italy, not being sent back to Munster. And John Klein cried off at the last minute and he rushed to Carton House, got his gear, forgot his scrum cap. You know, you always know Ty Byrne by the bobbing hat. Yeah. <laughs> he goes and ruins other people's rooks. So he had, he had just, you could see his hair playing for Munster on the weekend and he was insanely good. He, <laughs> he tore it up with like a couple of hours notice or, or whatever, maybe a day's notice. He tore it up for Munster. So we have, he's back, he's clearly fit. He's one of the form players in Europe. Get him into the team. Get him into the team, whether it's in the second row or whether it's in the back row. None of this, you have to build your way into this team. If you're form, you need to play now. Like Schmidt did say it afterwards, he goes, we don't have, um, we haven't had cohesion and we haven't got the team and all that. But he's he's got a plan. He always mm. planned this. He planned not to have any cohesion by he getting plan, to Rome. He planned to have a big squad. Maybe this is all a big master plan, but I, I don't see it. Like at the moment, what we're seeing is a master plan is from Warren Gatland. That's where we're seeing a master plan where he's got Wales... Who is back for France? Who who comes back into the team for France? So Henshaw was supposedly good to go. A- Aki only went off with a... Um, I think he, they said he passed the HIA, but the doctor said no. They didn't like the contact he, he took for that straight run. Henshaw, they were saying he's definitely ready to go. He just didn't have the fitness levels. Um, so they've got to make a decision there. Ringrose did a hamstring, and we're not sure what the story is. He's been back with Leinster, so I'd be... I, I'll, I'd need to that he's training before out and there. Mm. James Ryan just had a rest. Rory Best just had a rest. Rory Best is back in. and that's Rory Best's it, stock went up by not it, playing. Yeah, Devin Toner's having a great Six Nations. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I think Rory Best comes back in and that's the end of that debate now for a while. Um, James Ryan comes back in. Ty Byrne has to, be, has to feature somewhere. Um, and uh, Ringrose ideally. And that changes the whole mm. kind of outlook of the team, you know. But uh, injuries is going to be something that's going to creep up on Ireland. I mean, you always knew it was going to be the thing that could unravel. We need to know who's... It would be very interesting to see who's fit next week because that's, that is a, that's the thing that stops them from finding cohesion. It's two weeks now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's maybe not great for them. It's going to be two weeks of, of gnashing of teeth, really, isn't it? It's going to be two weeks of sort of soul-searching and where have we gone and how is all this going to work out? Um, building up to... They sort of need to to obliterate France to to sort of clean all this out. Yeah, in two weeks. They need a performance that picks part France apart and convincingly beats them, because six days after that game, they're going to a place where it does not look like Ireland are capable of winning. And I don't just mean now; I mean in November after beating the All Blacks. I wouldn't have thought necessarily because under Schmidt, the one place that Ireland have struggled to go is Cardiff, uh, and what the Welsh did, like Wales were did not look anywhere like they could clean England's shoes in the first half and I couldn't believe it was 10-3 at the turn and then that stadium is a special place normally when the roof's closed but the roof was open it's a really special place to go I think it was 05 I was there when both teams were going for the Triple Crown and Wales went and won the Grand Slam and they just tore Ireland apart once they get going they, be, they become superhuman in their own heads and Dan Binger came on and just picked England England own Farrell looks like he doesn't have a passing game yeah, Like they look like they desperately missed Maro Atoje and Mako Vunapola Sinclair who was 
like Gatlin kept at him all the way up yeah. to the game and all that and said he's an emotional time bomb he had a brilliant game he made 20 tackles he was yeah. superb and then on 55 minutes he goes I'll block your man Anscombe kind of, it was going to be a penalty he kind of got away with it but then trying to hold up Alan Wynne-Jones who again was fantastic yeah. like what a leader of men but Sinclair got in under him and, and didn't need to hold on to his throat yeah. and then he did something else and to get him off and it just it backfired you know oh, yeah exactly it totally disrupted their rhythm Hugh Laggy was at it as well by the way grabbing, pe- grab, grabbing Liam Williams by the throat and the joy on Liam Williams' face when Tua Laggy grabbed him by the throat he was like ah oh. You're going to get Simbind. No, he didn't. <laughs> like, but uh, again, I, I just want to mention Liam Williams. I was just from another planet. The thing that hurt Ireland the most was England's kicking game. And Liam Williams was like, give me the ball. Come on, mm-hmm. come on. I, I know where it's going to land. He gave a, he gave a, a kind of a Rob Carney master. It was really interesting that, that Wales basically played them at the same game. Like for the first 25, 30 minutes of that game, the ball barely went out of play. They just sort of kicked it back and forth to each other nearly bored each other to tears yeah um, it's like a throwback to 2007 rugby mm. it was, I think it was Matt Williams actually said it he goes um, Eddie Jones looked at the All Black Ireland game and went okay that's how I'm going to pick Ireland apart and then Warren Gatland looked at the Ireland England game and went ah oh, that's how I'm going to pick Eddie Jones's team apart and now it comes back around to Schmidt what can he do you know because he gets to have a go at Gatland now at the end of the tournament I, I'm convinced he'll figure out a way of uh, he'll, he'll give the team the structures and the tools to pick France apart and they will we don't know what the performance would be like but Cardiff is very interesting now because again it comes six days after France beat the hell out of you so there's going to be a couple of players that you really need in the pitch that won't be on the pitch so kind of interesting now isn't it it is yeah it is funny I was actually thinking this on the way in that this is a far more interesting Six Nations than I expected it to be yeah well you tank like that in Rome and uh a little bit of analysis is required. Yeah, good. Well, you will get it here in the Out of Time podcast. Excellent. Uh, thank you very much, Gavin, and we will chat to you as we go along. Keith Duggan is on the line to talk uh, Kerry Galway. Keith, you had the joys of Tuam Stadium yesterday? It did indeed, Malachi, yeah. And it was, uh, it, w- it was interesting. It was very lively. There was a big, uh, you know, Kerry people sometimes, Kerry supporters sometimes, you know, to get knocked for not traveling but they they turned up in numbers uh yesterday and i think they were they were fairly very pleased with what they what they witnessed i was half because there was so much on yesterday keith i was sort of half following this uh on twitter as much as anything else yeah. uh it, it my, my impression was that it was a bit of an old grind and in the end Kerry were were far better than than a one point win um, I wouldn't say they were far better, but yeah, they were. They fully, they fully deserved. They fully deserved the win. It was a grind. You're right. Um, it was just one of those sort of quite heavy league games. You know, the the you know, Peter Keane alluded to it afterwards that you know the the pitch. It was, it was just heavy going. You know, it was it was a slog for both teams to get up and die. And um, it's sometimes it's difficult to see this in television highlights, but I mean, in the first half in particular. Kerry really, really pressed Galway aggressively on their own kick-out. And Galway struggled just to get past their own 65 for long periods of time. Hence the, the three points in, in the first half playing into the playing into the wind. And it was really down to Kerry's work rate. And just just savage appetite really for, 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 for closing Galway players down. You know, Galway liked to carry the ball out of, out of defence and sort of, you know, build up quite leisurely. But they weren't. They weren't. They weren't allowed to do that. Um, so 
really what Kerry did was manage to exploit the two periods in which uh, which Galway lost a man to a black card um, sort of five minutes before the end of the first half and the end of full time and they tagged on 08 uh, you know combined in that period of play and that 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 really that really made the difference but you know Galway were Galway, you know, Galway tried hard. They were honest. They weren't particularly inspired. They got a bit of a break through Danny Cummins' goal, and I'd say they'll be annoyed at themselves having having taken a lead at that point, sixty five minutes in, that they didn't manage just to just to hold on for the next minute or two. You know, get organised and try and see see the game out. Instead, they you know they 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 they, they coughed up three quick scores to to carry over that period. Peter Keane is managing to keep Kerry looking quite flexibly or tactically flexible in the games they've played so far Keith but he's also been giving people a chance Tommy Walsh returned yesterday how how did he did he impress you? Really impressive like they, they, they rotated him quite a bit you know he played inside the odd time pushed him out onto the wing he dropped back you know he was, he was moving really well he was involved with a lot of stuff and he also there was a time sort of late in the second half where Kerry were actually penned in quite a bit on their kick out and uh, they they pushed Tommy Walsh out to out to out to the left around midfield and it, you know he pulled down two really two really important uh, important balls just to give him a bit of breathing space. Um yeah, he was he was he was good. He looked he looked um it's gonna be interesting to see how he how he develops over the next uh, couple of months and uh it, you know, you, you could just see him becoming sort of a central cog again and an attack over 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 the summer. One of the interesting things about uh, Kerry, Keith, is um, like we talk about the embarrassment of riches that was always going to come because of all these, all the minor teams and all the players that they were going to throw up. Somebody like Tomas O'Shea, who sort of came on and, and, and won the game ostensibly at the end, like he's a guy who has was, you know, his minor win was one of the first either the first year or the second year and then he disappeared off around the world with, with Riverdance for three or four years um, and for somebody like him to be able to come in and uh, just sort of take over the last three or four minutes of a game just shows like the amount of weapons that Peter Keane is going to have and going to have to accommodate yeah, Absolutely yeah. I mean it was a spectacular impact mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you saw if you saw that point he got just, just rampaging along the right in a way, once he once he backed himself, he sort of had no option but to keep going because there was no real support there. But he he finished it really really well, um, and yeah, absolutely, it's 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 um it's a nice position to be in, and you know they're winning games while still only training one night a week, um, and obviously they have David Clifford etc to come back, so it's it's um. It's, it's it's happy times, but I mean, it was really over the course of the game on on Sunday. It was uh, Stephen Stephen O'Brien's um, influence uh, was was huge. He he really really he just showed for every ball, got out in front of Owen Curran, who I mean Owen Curran was left in impossible situations um, on several times because the the quality of the ball going into O'Brien was good, and, and once once he turns and faces you, it's very very difficult to 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 stop him. Um, and he really led. He really, you know, he really led that Kerry attack yesterday. What about Galway, Keith? There, um, I get the sense that that for all the fact that they, you know, are getting the odd result here and there, um, I sort of feel maybe are the natives a wee bit restless with them over there that because the the football is so dour 
that um, I don't know is there is there a big sort of support for the for the project there? Um, well, I'd say it, look, it depends on results. You know, um, there was plenty of support for it. Yes, last year until the until 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 the semi final. Um, they obviously used the, the league last year as a bit of a springboard, and they did very well and got to the final, etc. I don't think the Kevin Walsh would be particularly um, pushed whether or not they make it to the final this year. Um, Damien Comer is out for the rest of the league, and just Comer's absence yesterday, you felt it. It 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 sort of go. It didn't seem to know where to look at times when they wanted to move the ball forward. Like it's difficult to convey just how much pressure um, Kerry were were putting on on the the ball with Galway ball carriers and Sunday, and you know there was one instance I think late in the first half where they were kind of just you know um, passing around the sixty five looking for options and there was nothing happening. Everything was very stagnant and stale up front, and you could hear Kevin Walsh, you know, demanding movement, and it just wasn't it just wasn't happening. So it's obviously something they they need to work on. Um, look, they're they are they set up the way they set up, and they're they're they are a pretty defensive team. I don't think that's going to change. So, um, yeah, look, I I'd say it it really results are going to dictate how how uh, how people um, how people respond. But obviously, it's a it's a fairly it's a fairly radical departure from the traditional view of of Galway football. But look, I mean, the game itself has changed, you know. Malachi, on Saturday night, Dublin comfortably beat Mayo. Is it a worry from a Mayo point of view that it's sort of the exact same defeat that they have to Dublin every year in the league? It's funny, I was I was doing a piece on this last week for, for Saturday's paper about, I was, I was ringing around in Mayo to try and see is there, uh, you know, the usual losing the run of themselves uh, after a few good results. And there really wasn't, to be fair, you know, d- d- the three or four people I talked to were all sort of, look, we've won the first three games, but we've played the three worst teams in the division. You know, let's, we're going to Croke Park. We have a terrible league record against Dublin. If we keep it to four or five points, you know, that that's probably what's going to happen. As it turned out, it was worse than that. They, um, they got well beaten out the gate, like yet again. You know, none of they got. I think one point from play out of their starting forwards. I think if I counted it up, so that's if you take the last five years of league games, their starting forwards in those five years of league games against Dublin have scored ten points between them from play. Like it's just they're they get choked up, uh, they get overwhelmed by uh, you know the Dublin team that does what the Dublin team does. Only for Robbie Henley the other night, they would have. Could have been four or five goals. Um, they they started brightly. Um, it was very interesting. It was, it was great to see like Fionn McDonough his first uh, his first intercounty game at uh, Croke Park. Uh, the first time he got on the ball, he looked up and Jack McCaffrey was in front of him, and he said right, and he went at him, turned him one way, turned him the other way, and put it over the bar. And you're going, wow, okay, this is what you want to see from them. Um, but. They gave away a, an unfortunate enough goal. Keith Higgins kind of slipped as Cormac Costello went past him. Uh, they missed a penalty, and it was you know it was just a matter of keeping keeping counting after that. Um, Dublin were were grand, were you know they were who they are. Um, but Mayo, yeah, it was like I don't think that it I don't think it is fatal or anything like that. I think it's 
it's a reminder of where they are, um, um, what they need to fix. Andy Moore looked, he looked 35 playing on the inside line. He looked very, he, he just didn't look sharp. You know, he, he beat his man a couple of times and then he blazed one wide and uh, pulled another and gave her bad pass for another, you know. Um, he just didn't look, look on his game. Um, yeah, look, it's not fatal or anything. I'd be interested to see what you think, Keith. Like, you know, um, they they came to Dublin w- with a bit of a win behind them, but like they they sort of got reminded of their level a bit. Yeah, I but I completely agree with you. I, I don't think it's fatal at all. I don't think you can read too much into into Mayo sort of flatlining on a late February evening in um in Dublin. The, they already have three wins in the league. Um, they've unearthed maybe a couple of a couple of new options up front in in, in, in Brian Reap and, and Fiona McDonough. I think that's kind of what James Horan would have wanted from this. Um, you know, everyone knows the situation in the winter with them, where half the half the team is basically in Dublin. They don't really train collectively, um, and they're. They've, they've so many miles on the clock that it's just a matter of timing with that bunch. You know, they want, they don't want, they don't, I, I wouldn't say they, they particularly care if Andy Moore is sharp right now, as long mm. as he's sharp in sort of late July, August, through to September. And whether they're able to fine tune that collective, that, that instrument remains to be seen. But I don't think, um, I don't think Saturday evening is going to have any bearing on, 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 on how they, how they ultimately shape up. That said, it could have been a really, really horrible result for them, but for uh, but but for Robbie Robbie Hanley's heroics. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to be happy for him. You know, this is his first time back in Croke Park since since the uh, the, the unpleasantness, de- since the deadening. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He did, he, he did, he, he, yeah. He, he was tremendous. There were some really, really wonderful saves there. Um, so yeah, uh, but. Look, I, I mean, that's that's you know, I've like I, I can't expect Mayo just to tick along for the remainder of the league. I, 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 I mean, I, I mean, I don't know this, but I doubt James Horner's much interest in in in, in bringing his team up, up to a league final. Ticking along for the remainder of the league seems like a good philosophy for all of us. So uh, we leave it there, Keith, and uh, we will chat to you again as we go along. Thanks very much. Thank you. You're listening to the Irish Times. We'll finish up today Pat with a bit of golf um, Rory McIlroy finished second in the WCGC championship in Mexico last night uh, five shots clear of the rest of the field except for one person who was five shots ahead of him five shots clear of him Dustin Johnson uh, Philip Reid is on the line uh, hey Philip Morning, Maliki. How are you doing? I am doing very well. Uh, I, uh, how do we how do we judge this? Do 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 we judge Rory now as a you know serial loser or somebody who's uh, finished top five in his last four events and therefore one of the very best golfers in the world? Well, he is one of the very best golfers in the world. I think I think you have to look at it. He's knocking on the door, and uh, it's only a matter of time when before he actually gets back to winning ways. Uh, he couldn't have done much more. Maybe, well, maybe on the front nine yesterday, he might have been able to do a bit more in terms of applying pressure. But uh, like to, to finish the way he did yesterday, coming home in 31, was almost a 30, really. He, he seemed to rush to, to put on the 18 to get out 
of the way for DJ. But like, you know, he'd enough birdies there. Anyone else probably would have been phased or uh, phased a bit, but Dustin Johnson was t- totally unfazed and matched him pretty much birdie for birdie and was in his own that uh, I think Rory afterwards sort of said it was almost as if he was playing in a, another tournament and he won that and like Dustin Johnson was just on a different planet to everyone else for the last few days. At the end on uh, Saturday night, I was watching it and uh, Wayne Riley was interviewing uh, McElroy and uh, finished it off by going, you know, 64 tomorrow, Rory. And McElroy kind of laughed and said, yeah, it'd be nice. Even if he had a shot of 64, he still would have lost by two. That's right, yeah. He needed to be in Justin Thomas's boots yeah. uh, yesterday. He went out and shot a 62, equaled his own course record. But, um, you know, you know, Rory still has that eye on uh, Augusta, and he's certainly trending in the right way. That's the first time in his career he's actually started off a season. That's four top top five finishes in the four events he's had. And he's never had four successive top fives in his career on the PGA Tour before. So that says all about where he is, tee to green. And uh, he just needs one of those weeks, I think, where he does what Johnson did and separates himself a little bit from the field. Because when he does get into position, he is able to uh, finish off events. And he's a little break now before he resumes He'll be defending at the Arnold Palmer at Bay Hill in a couple of weeks' time. But he's taken this week off, which actually at the Honda Classic is literally on his doorstep in Jupiter in Florida. So uh, it's just an indication of how he's scheduling and where his focus is. And he's doing things his way. And I think it's only a matter of time before he does actually start winning. And he, he knows the art of winning. It's just a matter of recover or rediscovering how to do it. Like you say, Philip, he has been playing well, but he hasn't actually gotten anything across the line of late. Does that take away from a golfer's fear factor? Like, I, I feel at the moment, Dustin Johnson, like you said, seemed like he was playing in a different tournament. It's not like he'd Rory on his on his tail and he started to get flustered. Well, just watching Rory's demeanour over the last uh, four days, I, I don't think I've seen him in a better place for a long, long time. You know, it's almost... You know, he, he has a jaunt down the fairways, you know, he moves his shoulders and the legs move in a certain way. It's almost as if he's in a carefree spirit and he's enjoying himself. And it's been, he went through a couple of years there where he didn't seem to be enjoying himself too much in the course. He was uh, frustrated with injuries. He was frustrated with his putting. And things seem to be really going in his way. OK, he had one four putt from the fringe of a green the other day, but Generally, like there were times yesterday where he was facing 12 and 15 feet putts, some of them for par, and like there was a stage where the old Rory would miss them and he was getting them, you know, and okay, it wasn't applying the pressure because DJ was hitting the ball closer and he was also getting birdies. But it's a good sign that you have that faith in your putter and the work he's been doing with Brad Faxon seems certainly to have paid off and... I, I think he's in a very good place mentally and certainly physically looking at him. He's eased back on the gym work. He's not in the gym as much as he used to be. And I, I think just a look off him, he's, he's not as muscle bound. He's not as tight around the shoulders. And uh, I think it's a matter of just when he's going to start winning again. It's funny you mentioned the body language, uh, Philip. Uh, my wife uh, came in to, to watch a bit of it with me last night. Um, well, watch it all, but she... Uh, she just joined as Rory put the ball in the water on the sixth after the drop 
Um, and uh, he he was walking down the, the fairway and the shoulders were slumped a little bit. And she straight away went, oh, Rory's not doing well, is he? And like, she she was even just remarking after it. She can always tell without even looking at the score how well he's going. And, she's, and the only reason she was remarking on it was that she was looking at Dustin Johnson and going, you never know with that guy. You you well, don't you don't know whether he's just had an eagle or a double bogey. I I think there's a lot more goes on between the ears in Rory's <laughs> head and goes on in uh, DJ's, but her timing couldn't have been better really because yeah. you, you've touched on what happened at the sixth year and on the previous hole and the fifth, uh, Johnson had uh, got. Uh, you you might say it was a dubious like, but letter of the law, it was. Uh, to correct ruling from the referee when he was when he went behind, uh, when he went up beside the tree. He's a big man. He's six foot four. He does take probably a wider stance than a lot of players. He uh, sort of exaggerated it slightly, I think, and he wasn't questioned by the rules official. Official, but but the letter of the law that was right. And then the following hole, just before your wife walked in, uh, Rory, of course, had been refused. I won't say a similar. Uh, a similar situation but the ball was against a tree and I think uh, if if it had been any other time except coming so closely after DJ had got such a favourable ruling I don't think Rory probably would have even asked for the rules official mm. he would have accepted his punishment and bitched out uh, sideways but uh, you know maybe he did feel Maybe not so much that he had got a bad ruling, but that uh, DJ had got a very favourable ruling l- less than twenty minutes previously. Yeah, my when I was watching that, I uh, my take on it was that they were both chancing their arm to a certain extent. Uh, like as soon as you could see where Rory's ball was, you were going, "No, Rory, like you, you know, there is no real reason for your your feet to be on the cart path there." Um, Maybe at a stretch, but even the way he um, he greeted uh, the rules official as as the rules official arrived over, you could hear the microphone was right beside them, and you could hear Rory say, "It's just the same, exactly the same as DJ's there." You know, I need you know I need relief from from the cart path straight away. Kind of getting getting into your man's head. You know, look, this is. Uh, Are you trying to suggest that Rory was bending the rules, Malachi? No. No, no. He was trying. Like that's he, <laughs> he was trying to do as Johnson was trying to do. He was using the rules to his advantage, mm. um, and uh, I, fe- I did feel Philip like I. I thought Johnson was lucky enough there now to get to to, to be to get away with not even to get away with, but to 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 have the to have the rules official accept that there was no other way for him to play that ball that wouldn't have his foot reaching back onto the card path. Well, you're right on that because it, the rules officials seem to accept straight away this is the way he's playing the shot rather than asking him uh, with, with a bit more depth or questioning him at mm. all. Whereas with Rory, you had uh, the rules official saying, well, you're aiming at the guy in the white cap. Mm. You know, like it wasn't, uh, he, he, straight away he wasn't. And I, I think there was an element that uh, Rory probably was chancing his arm, mm. but I, I don't think he would have if the situation or if the, the DJ situation hadn't been so fresh in the memory and he probably felt at the time, you know, he'd, he'd, you know er, er, early on in the, in the round, he'd managed to reduce uh, Johnson's lead to two, just two shots and mm. you're, sort of, you're starting to sit up and you're saying, OK, maybe this is going to be Rory's day and he's going to make the, 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 the move. But uh, that DJ situation and 
Johnson actually mentioned to, to save power on the previous hole. And then what happened to him basically took the momentum out of it. OK, he came back with those birdies on the back nine, but, but then it was too late. The damage really had to be done on the front nine. Uh, yeah, and, and it was interesting. It was just at, at a really sort of crucial time in the in the round in that had, um, had Rory gotten his drop there and maybe... You know, got got out, laid up, maybe got in for for a birdie. Would have kept the thing at at three shots as it was. It went to five, and that was that was more or less it. Yeah, that's it. Was it was actually a good bogey in the end, wasn't yeah. it? Like you know, and put the third shot into the water. Uh, but yeah, you know, it was just when you have Johnson on a course like that in the in the mood that he's in, you know, it was going to take something exceptional to catch him. And you know, sometimes. It, Okay, these players go out every week, and it's all about winning. But uh, it, it, winning is a hard thing to do out on tour. And sometimes you look at it and you say second place is actually a very good result. And five shots ahead of the third place guys means that uh, Macquarie is trending in the right direction, and uh, he's up to number six again now in the world rankings. So he he is making upward moves, and uh, ironically, all that he won a million dollars there. Uh, None of that is going to count on uh, the race to Dubai or the European Tour order merit this season. Not yet. Philip Rory uh, got some stick last week from when he announced that he was going to miss the Irish Open this year. You wrote a column basically saying that you followed his reasoning um, that it, to you it made sense. You, you reckon that he's simply he's preparing for the British Open and he's going the right way, way about doing it, yeah? Yeah, well, he didn't get stick from me because I, I, can, I can actually see... Uh, what he's on about, I can see the bigger picture, and I think just in this particular year, and given what he has actually done for the Irish Open over the last number of years, uh, he's he's not just supported by playing it; he's he basically lifted it off the ground and has elevated it. It's a Rolex tournament; it's huge money, seven million dollars tournament. He's got some fantastic players playing it under his watch, and uh, you know with the. British Open or 148 Open Championship returning to Royal Portrush this year. It's just a year where he has his eye on the majors, whether it's Augusta in April or whether it's going to be the, the Open Championship on his home patch, effectively, on a course where he has played well, and which means so much, you know, as he said, he, he never thought he'd see the day when an Open Championship will be played in Northern Ireland again. And th- that's what his focus is on. I think we just have to give him a little bit of slack. I thought some of the uh, criticism from some quarters was absolutely over the top and very unfair, and he didn't deserve or merit any of that. So I think just on this occasion, uh, normally a, an Irish player playing with a European tour would have to support a tournament in your country. But the fact that the Open Championship is in Northern Ireland this year means that he's basically covered from that point of view. So, uh, you know, just just give him a bit of breathing space and let him at it this year. And if he goes out and wins, and the odds are actually against me, you have 156 players in the field. So, uh, you know, once you, once you tee off, you know, you're fighting the odds straight away. But if that, if he believes that's what's going to give him the best chance, let him off and uh, hopefully we'll see him perform well in uh, Portrush in July. We will and uh, you'll be there and uh, we'll all be watching. Listen, Philip, uh, thanks very much. We will talk to you as the year goes along. Uh, thanks very much to Keith 
Duggan, who we had on the line earlier, and to Gavin Comiskey, who we had in talking about the rugby. Thanks to you, Pat. Thanks, Matt. Cheers to you, Declan, behind the desk, and we will chat to everyone again next week. Cheers, folks. <laughs>